The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Hey, I'm David Barry. Um, I'm going to do the scripture reading for us this morning. Our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, this is a good morning to be together and especially to uh, read this passage. Uh, Many of you may have heard of this name or may have heard of this even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. I uh, remember Megan and I like to watch uh, a lot of shows and documentaries I, I, I typically will click through and um, I remember we were watching uh, one in particular and we'd seen a few I, I think they're similar to this uh, and I think they even made a movie about it on Tanya Harding uh, where if you're unfamiliar with Tanya Harding she uh, and another figure Nancy Kerrigan uh, were uh, Olympic skaters and there's a story uh, essentially of when I'm just to summarize for you uh, that uh, to take out her competition, Tonya Harding uh, set to uh, have, I think it was her uh, ex-husband, take a crowbar to uh, Nancy Kerrigan's knee when she was coming out of a, uh, of a training facility in order that she could kind of get a leg up in the Olympics. Anyway, this kind of story fed through the Olympics back then, and, and uh, the documentary as well as the movie kind of show a, a lot more about her life. Remember after seeing the documentary, maybe even <clears throat> close to the end of it, Megan and I were sitting watching, and she had such a great line about this. And she said, what if our life was remembered and highlighted by this event, by this thing? No room for growth or change or goodness, because we're characterized by bad, and you can't get out from under it, and all we can do is hide. What, what if that was our life, Right? I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible or not, and, and I talk to so many people that, that kind of have quasi-knowledge, or maybe you, you read it regularly, and you maybe have this opinion of it, um, and I, I hope there are many people here that, that are very unfamiliar with it, but it is a book that's not highlighted with a lot of people who have great things about them. It's actually a really hard book to read sometimes because you read about things that are very not good about people. 
In fact, many of the characters in the Bible, and if you're unfamiliar, a lot of people say, well, the Bible is just about a set of rules for us to do good things. These are just good people. If you read the Bible, that's actually not what it's about. It's about sinners. It's about sinners. It's about people that have literal documentaries on them and parts of their life that are so unsavory and and highlighted and shown that A, they can't hide, and B, we get to read about it. And oftentimes, it's an easy book to read and say, oh, man, maybe I just need to not be like them. Is that what the Bible's trying to tell me? Not be like them or be like them in these instances. No, the Bible is actually saying we have somebody who seeks us out in the midst of whatever is put up on the screen, whatever's put up in front of us. This God seeks us out even though we're synonymous in a name as sinner. You want to know what the story of Zacchaeus is about? It's that. Uh, Some of you have in your mind the wee little man, the wee little man was he. I had to say it. There's some song that's very old that's talked about there. There once was a wee little man named Zacchaeus. But there's so much more going on in this story. People reading this story and hearing this story would say, just like we would watching a documentary or watching something, not just say, man, that would be horrible if that was my life. They see this and go, why in the world would Jesus go after that? There's no way we need to feel sorry for Zacchaeus here. He's not, he's not somebody we need to feel sorry for. He's, not, he's wealthy. He has everything he needs, but he is an outcast. He's the kind of person that many of us go, if someone, and we've had these kind of moments in our past and history when they show maybe some marginal move towards God or Christianity we say really kind of skeptical about it or we look at somebody and we go that person would never be saved by Jesus when do we turn the camera on ourselves Zacchaeus was a figure that all of us need we need this passage because this reminds us of the whole of the Bible, that, that, that two things about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is seen and sought. He is seen and he is sought after. And that is what we long for. It's very simple of what Jesus does in this passage, being seen, that Zacchaeus is seen and sought. You know, as I was saying, it begins to tell us a little bit about Zacchaeus here. This is the, the beginning of a chapter starting from 18 then to 19, there's this kind of paralleling here, and I'm going to walk through that. But here in 19 it says, he entered into Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, why would it say that? Luke is a doctor. He writes, when he writes, he writes with real detail. In fact, if you want a good book that's going to give you very detailed historical accounts. Luke even says at the beginning that he provides a historical account. He's actually gone back and asked the others and even provided some more detail. This is a detail to say he is not just rich. It doesn't just say that. He was exceedingly wealthy. And the reason he was is because he was a part of what was called a tax farming group. He was the superintendent of a bunch of other tax collectors that would be under him, but he was in particular over this region, which meant everything kind of funneled to him. And, 
And why that was important was because a tax collector, the preset was every Roman province took a certain amount of money. The tax collector was to take it up and then provide it to the Roman government. But what happened was the tax collector would oftentimes add more to it and begin to take some money off the top more and more and more. Somehow, we don't know exactly in between the lines, but we realize he's hated and he's a tax collector. Here's what it is. He's taken a lot off the line and all of his wealth comes from his not only colluding with the Roman government, but his stealing from those around him. He's just been taking and taking. And this greed and this life of his is all he has. And so for him to enter in even into this into this picture, you can see he's not liked. In fact, it says he was trying to see Jesus, right? He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And it wasn't just because he was small and he couldn't see over him. It was also because in, the, in that time, he, didn't want, he wanted to see Jesus, but you didn't really get into crowds. If you're not liked, they're not going to treat you well. In fact, in some historical accounts, if, if they were pushed into a crowd, they, they could, someone could be killed, and then it wasn't until the crowd moved and then, that you saw that person that was lying there. It was for his life. And so seeing the crowd, he actually runs ahead. This is what he does. He runs ahead because what he knows is the only way to see Jesus is he not only is he short in stature, but he also needs to get out of the place where the crowds would mob him. So he finds a sycamore tree, a place that that is a leafy branch, and typically those trees are outside the city. He climbs the tree, he's in it, and he's actually waiting because Jesus is coming down the way. There's no crowd, he's sitting in this tree. What is he craving? He's craving to see this one that he's heard so much about. And as Jesus comes, of all things, he would be hard to spot. People didn't climb trees or run in that time. You don't just run somewhere unless you really need to do something. You don't just climb a tree unless there's something really important. Zacchaeus is climbing in a tree, and he's outside the city gates, and he is not wanting to be seen. He just wants to see Jesus. He wants to just see, what's this guy about? And of all things, Jesus stops and spots him. You get the point? The crowds behind him. Jesus stops, sees Zacchaeus in a tree, the one whom everybody in the town knows who he is, and there's the moment. This is Jesus' moment. Everybody around is waiting for Jesus to sit, point him out in the tree, and begin to just tear him apart. He's cornered. He can't go anywhere. And yet he says something completely different. Can you imagine being Zacchaeus and Jesus walking up and spotting you? All you want to do is just see him walk by. He's not trying to interact with them. He's just trying to see what's the big deal. And all of a sudden, he's he's called, and what does he try and hide behind some leaves? I don't know if you heard um, of this post. It was really interesting. I saw it in the Washington Post over Valentine's Day. There was a guy who um, actually thought he would go to, he was driving, and he was dressed nicely. He said, you know what, I'm going to go to this Applebee's. And I'm going to sit here and act like my date didn't show up and see if somebody will buy me a steak. So this guy literally 
drives to this Applebee's. That's what it says. He pretended his date stood him up on Valentine's Day so a stranger would pick up his tab. So he stops. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Outback Steakhouse. My bad. If I went to Outback Steakhouse by myself tonight and asked for a table for two, then got progressively sadder as the night went on, do you think they'd give me a steak for free? His sister egged him on, telling him that he would that she would pay for his meal on Thursday if the restaurant didn't. Three hours later, Bonzer was waiting by the host stand at Outback Steakhouse in Arlington, dressed in his fresh blazer and button-down shirt and carrying a poorly wrapped present. I figured that I'm going to get a free steak either way, he told the Washington Post later. It would be fiscally irresponsible for me to not do this. Well, as it goes on, it tells the story about how he orders this glass of Chardonnay for this person that's supposed to show up. And, you know, he sat there for hours and hours and hours, ate two loaves of bread, ended up grabbing the Chardonnay and drinking it just reluctantly, faking phone calls, more and more trying to get those around him to see him, the, the wait staff. They, he, he, would, he would look up and see them at the bar talking about him and realizing they're talking about him. Yeah. Finally, at 10.30 at night when they're about to close, a couple buys him a steak. He gets his meal. He even you know, takes pictures as he would and sends it out. Now that I'm sure that it would be hilarious if that couple, whoever they were, saw this. What was he wanting so badly? To be seen. And fake. So many people think of Zacchaeus in that light. It, it, we are longing to have the eyes of somebody see us, but th- we are desperately afraid of it. Zacchaeus is in a tree. Jesus passes by and sees him. What do you think is going through his mind when he says Zacchaeus? And he knows what he's done. He knows his reputation in the town. Zacchaeus's name is used synonymously to what you do not want your children to grow up as. His name is used at the water cooler during the week for people to talk about how how much they hate someone in their city. His name is equated with sinner. Not just sin, sinner. And everybody there knows it. And doesn't want him to feel sorry for him. We don't need to feel sorry for him. We need to see what he needs. And he's longing to be seen, to have the eyes of someone see him and not in a darting glance. Look, I was at a Starbucks just this last week and I was sitting there and two different times, I was sitting at a table for four at a Starbucks when when I was studying and working. When I could have been sitting at a table for two, two different times I got glances from people looking at like, and literally got a comment about, hey, why are you sitting at a table for four when you should be sitting over here at a table for two? People looked at me. You've gotten those glances before. You know what it's like to have eyes of people that look at you, and they look at you with just such disappointment and anger. Oh, I got it twice. I couldn't believe it. Over a table. But it means something. What is it like on the opposite effect? Do we want to have eyes that look at us that we get are understood and known? For Zacchaeus to have the eyes of Jesus and to be seen in this way, to be seen in this tree, probably terrified him. And yet, what happens? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Luke 
Luke does this often. He will give us a, a glimpse of the change of someone's heart. It doesn't happen much, but we'll get to see certain people, certain figures interact with Christ and get transformed in the moment. And you see their life change. And we get to see this in Zacchaeus. We get to see something about when his eyes met him and he said, come down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Those two statements. He could have said, come down, I want to talk to you. He said, I'm going to your house. And that meant this. It meant that Jesus was willing to have dinner and a meal and surround himself with people that they could not stand. Sinners. Not just sin, but sinners. And I know I'm saying that a lot because we need to understand. It's not just those people that do those things. It's we all have that documentary. What would it be like for someone to look into our lives and look at us in a way that reverses that? The thing that you are so afraid of being known for, or maybe you are known for, and yet to have the eyes of someone look at you and get you where you are, that you're gotten, known, understood, met, and not darting eyes, not disappointing eyes. The eyes of Jesus that bring him down and then say, I'm going to your house today. And this is why it would be so disappointing to those people. Because he was passing. If you notice this, it says he was passing through Jericho. It means he was already outside the town. He wasn't going to stay and receive their hospitality. That's everything that a town wanted. If somebody came through, they often opened up their doors and said, stay with us. We want to feed you. He said, no, I'm passing through. He passed through and he stops and looks at the one man that everybody hates and says, you know what? I'm going to your house. Let's go back to the town. They're grumbling, they're complaining. In verse 7, they saw it, they all grumbled. It says all grumbled. That doesn't mean just one person or one type of person. They all grumbled because they thought, why would Jesus associate himself with this? Not just that, why would he eat at his house? Hospitality, take it in. Why? Why would he do it? And his response, Zacchaeus' response is that, overwhelming. This is the first person that changed him. And guess what? In between the lines, we don't see what happens between seven and eight. They say, and when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone into the guest, gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And then verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, the goods of all I give to the, uh, half of my goods I give to the poor. Between those two verses, something big happened. Something to the effect that Jesus meets him and talks him about. You know what? You are not an outsider anymore. Jesus makes himself literally in the, in the presence of a social, complete outcast to join him in order for everybody to know this is the purpose of Christ, to seek and save the lost. He sought him out. He sought, this is what's interesting, Zacchaeus sought Jesus, sought to see him, but what do we see at the very end? Oh, it actually wasn't Zacchaeus after all. It was Jesus that sought Zacchaeus, not the other way around. He sought him. He sought him out. 
He pursued him. And right before this passage, in Luke chapter 18, there's a, there's a verse about a rich young ruler. A ruler who had everything that he needed. Everything he wanted right there. And he asked Jesus, he goes, hey Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question to ask Jesus. What must I do to come into this kingdom that you have? He said, you know what, you need to sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the, and the rich ruler became sad and walked away. And everyone standing there, particularly the disciples, said, who can be saved then? And Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. He said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why? Because of the need we find ourselves so easily sought, looking, seeking out things that we hope to get look back at us, to have the eyes look back at us. In this case, Zacchaeus looked at his money. He was so hoping his wealth would give him the eyes back to him that, that would let him know that he was safe, that he was loved, and he couldn't do it. What are the things that we do that with? What are the eyes of things that we pursue that can never give us that connection, that longing, that care that we de so desperately need? To be sought after because we know not just that we sin, but because we're sinners. Because he pursues us to the furthest end of our character, the things that we could never think are overcome, that the documentary is out and everybody knows who we are. How could I ever believe I would be sought? How could I ever believe that he would stop and look at me? And yet he does. Why does he do that with the rich young ruler? Because right after that passage, what does he do? How hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? What is impossible with man is possible with God? What does he show? Why does it move from chapter 18 to 19? To show that God does the impossible. Needle. Camel. Camel goes through the needle and even God can do that. There's no one beyond his saving. There is nothing that you have done, nothing that you will do, Nothing that you are that can keep him from seeking you and keeping you. Nothing. I don't know what it is that you think in your life is keeping you from him having you and knowing that you have his eyes, that he looks at you. And with eyes that see through you and know everything about that documentary of your life. And yet, he seeks you. You've broken every standard. You are that person. We are those people that have nothing that can claim. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because like Zacchaeus, we think we have eyes of our wealth. We think we have the eyes of our children. We have the eyes of our job. We have the eyes of everything that we think we can, get, that can give back to us to cause us to feel connected, secure, and not isolated. And yet we are so insecure, isolated, and alone. And Jesus goes out of his way to pursue a social pariah to show that no one is beyond saving. 
What is the job of God? To come seek and save the lost. He seeks. He's not just passing through. It's so funny that Luke even puts that. He's passing through. And yet he doesn't. He comes right back. What is it about you that you think is beyond Jesus' reach? What is it that you think that he cannot redeem and change? Notice what happens. It changes him into repentance. His life transforms. What does he say? And Zacchaeus stood. And don't you know Zacchaeus heard every word that those people were saying? Oh, he heard the grumbling. He heard the complaining. He's right there. He's cornered in a tree. And then in his house, there's more than just Zacchaeus there. One thing he's standing up, and Jesus doesn't say, leave your job. He doesn't say, you need to become more pious. Isn't that what we want to do? He doesn't tell him that. Because that's not what he does. He begins to relinquish. He begins to open his hands from the things that he grips so tightly and with joy gives even fourfold to those he's defrauded. He begins to move into a life not of piety and perfection and not leaving his job. He had a job. Even people would still hate his job and hate him probably for it. What does he move? He moves into a relationship with Jesus. He's not trying to do it for them. He's doing it for Christ. When you are seen by Jesus and you know you're sought by Him, there's not just your sin, but your sin as a sinner you're brought in. What transforms you to pursue Him and to live for Him is that you no longer have to just do the things that make up what a Christian should be. It begins to radically transform things about you. Because you're no longer doing it just for Okay, no longer for the good people, now for the bad people. What, what am I doing this for? What are you just exchanging hands? No, we're doing it for Christ. Because we're seen for who we are. All the stains. All the sin. All the things. All the reasons you think that you shouldn't be sought. He seeks you out. He wants you. The beautiful thing about what this table means right here. This table is the reality of what he's done. This is the reality of what God has done in Christ. He has sought us out. To come to this table means that it wasn't us coming. You're coming because he's already come. He's done the seeking. And he comes to save the lost. He gives his blood for us. We are lost without him. We don't, have, we don't know where he is unless he finds us. We're hiding. How beautiful a picture is it that, that Zacchaeus is in a tree hiding? Because that is the same picture that happens all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible when sin enters the picture. We want to hide. We don't want anybody to find us. We're okay seeing God or seeing Jesus or maybe coming in and seeing him, but to see us, for him to find us, it's terrifying. And yet, what does God show? The most terrifying thing he's ever done has been laid on his own son so that you may be known and loved and cherished and taste and see that he sought you out. You're seen in him.
Well, as we come to this table, let's stand together.